Again this evening, it is my pleasure and privilege to welcome our pastoral candidate, Pastor Robert Elliott. A week ago Friday, I had the privilege of meeting him and his wife Beth at the International Airport as they came in from the USA. And immediately, I sense a man and his wife who love God and love the people of God. And we've been privileged here at Calvary Bible Church to have them this past eight days, eight, ten days. Um, unfortunately, Sister Beth, Pastor Elliot's wife, has not been able to be with us today. Um, we need to continue to pray for her as they go tomorrow, they go back to the USA. Pray for traveling mercies and God's special blessings upon them. And so it is my privilege once again to welcome our pastor candidate, Pastor Rob Elliott, to our forfeit tonight. Just give him a Bahamian welcome. Thank you so much. Beth sends her love, and uh, she's really regrets not being here this morning or this evening. She's has sciatic uh, nerve pain down her leg, and uh, the doctor here diagnosed probably a, a herniated disc. So she can't uh, stand or um, do much except lie down. She can sit or stand for about 10 minutes, and then she has to lie down to get relief. And uh, we don't know that she'll be able to lie down on the airplane. So please pray that that would be worked out and that she'd be able to make the trip and we could get to a doctor back home to uh, attend to her needs. But she and I joined together in telling you the incredible body of Christ in Nassau that our time with you, dear brothers and sisters, has gone by altogether too fast for us. And we thank you all for your kindnesses, your hospitality, your warm welcomes. Special thank you to our most gracious hosts, Denise and Paul Worrell. They have just been so good to us and so kind and generous, and we are grateful, and we'll always remember that. Yes. And please know that Beth and I will continue to pray for God's good, perfect, and acceptable will to be done for Calvary Bible Church with respect to your next pastor. We know the promise of Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. Uh, Beth and I have told you before, I've never visited the Bahamas before, but really we can assure you that we're leaving little parts of our hearts here with love for each of you. You've touched us. Well, for those of you who have been hoping that my jokes will get a little better, uh, this is my last crack at it. So um, did you hear about Billy Graham being driven in a limo here in Nassau? And uh, he was riding along, and he, he said to the driver, he said, you know, could I ask you a favor? And the driver said, yes, uh, Dr. Graham, anything. He said, well, you know, in all my travels in ministry, I've never uh, driven a limo. Do you think I could possibly drive this limo? And you step in the back, and I'll drive. And 
driver said, okay, sure, uh, Dr. Graham. So Billy got behind the wheel, and he was driving, and he made a minor traffic violation with some turn at some intersection. So a Bahamian police officer pulled the limo over and uh, told the driver to roll down this darkened uh, limo window, and the policeman said, just wait a minute. And he went back to his car, and he radioed headquarters, and he said, Sarge, I've pulled over someone who's really big. And I don't know what to do if I should give him the ticket. He's really big. The sergeant says, well, like, how big? Like Prime Minister Christie? No, bigger than that. Uh, Bigger than that? Who have you got over there? Uh, You know, Governor General? Uh, Folks? No, no, bigger than that. He said, wow. He said, you got someone bigger than those two? Is it Her Majesty the Queen herself? He goes, I don't know who it is, Sarge, but Billy Graham's the driver. Turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 12, please. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 are our text for this evening. Many, many years ago, a Dr. Brown, a missionary, wanted Fijian evangelists to go with him to the land of Papano, New Guinea. When Dr. Brown asked for the volunteers in that pastor's training college, he thought really that no one would willingly go because... Uh, 40,000 of their people, one in every eight in Fiji, had just died due to the measles. How could they leave Fiji to go to Papua New Guinea? But to his amazement, when he gave the invitation to do so, all 84 of the Bible College trainees volunteered to go. One of their leaders stood up and said, Our minds are made up. We have given ourselves to God's work. If we live, we live. If we die, we die. This evening, we are going to see, I believe, what those 84 students saw years ago and what they surrendered themselves to with sacrifice. As I've mentioned, Romans 12, 1 and 2 is our focus tonight. And these two verses call all of us who are saved to a surrender to the Lord Jesus. I can accurately tell you tonight that I preach God's word these years and am a pastor these years because of these two verses. I didn't always like Romans 12, 1 and 2, to be frank. In fact, quite honestly, I dreaded these verses for a time in my life. I felt that these two verses were stalking me. I avoided Romans 12, 1 and 2, and I discounted Romans 12, 1 and 2, and I disobeyed Romans 12, 1 and 2. Not proud to tell you that. But that was the way it was for me. But tonight I praise the Lord that he is the hound of heaven, and he pursues us, and he presses in on us, and he pulls us, and he calls us, and then he changes us, and then he opens us, and then he opens up our understanding of his word, and then he warms our hearts, and then he injects willingness into us, willingness to trust him, willingness to obey him, willingness to serve him, and he brings us individually to the points of voluntary surrender to him. And now I treasure Romans 12, 1 and 2. And I'd like to read them with you now. I urge you, therefore, brethren, 
by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and a holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Please notice with me that the first word in these two verses is therefore. And it kicks off the whole thought of verse 1. And any good inductive Bible student would ask of a therefore, what is it therefore? And when we do that, when we ask why is the therefore there, why is it the first word of verse 1, you will see that it links back to chapter 11. And specifically, it links back to chapter 11's teaching on the vast and great scope of God's salvation. Verse 1, word 1, links back to chapter 11, which teaches on the vast scope of God's salvation. Put another way, Romans 12.1 ties back to Romans chapter 11 in that since God is willing and able to save both Jews and Gentiles, therefore it is only reasonable for us to fully report for duty to the God who saves all of us. Put yet one more way. The scope of God's salvation warrants us scrapping our own plans for our lives. Verse 1 again. I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. The one word here which pops up as the main reason for surrendering and presenting ourselves back to God as living sacrifices is mercy. Mercy. Mercy is God withholding the bad that we all deserve. When we break the law, perhaps I'll use a traffic violation as I did in my story. When we break a traffic law, speeding, let's say, and the police officer pulls us over, we deserve a speeding ticket. But if he gives us a warning and doesn't give us a ticket, he gives us mercy. God has given us mercy in his son, Jesus Christ, so that the bad that we all deserve, separation from him because of our sin, is withheld because of Jesus. And it is God's mercy that should be the propeller, the motivation, the drive for us to present our bodies as living sacrifices. Verse 1 again, I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and a holy sacrifice. The last part of chapter 11 overflows with God's much more than enough mercy. Will you see it with me? In chapter 11, there is mercy from God for Gentiles. That's verse 30 of chapter 11. See it? For just as you once were disobedient to God, but now have been shown mercy because of their disobedience, that is the Jews' disobedience, God's mercy is big enough to go to Gentiles. That's verse 30. But more, there's more. There is mercy from God for Jews as well. Verse 31. So these also now have been disobedient in order that because of the mercy shown to you, they also may be shown mercy. God has mercy for Gentiles who believe. God has mercy for Jews who believe. God has mercy for all who believe. Verse 32, for God has shut up all in disobedience that he might show mercy to all. We have a merciful God. Aren't you glad? 
a merciful God. And clearly, Calvary Bible Church, God's mercy is the sturdy bridge between chapter 11 and chapter 12. God's mercy is that sturdy bridge between the two chapters. And it is the bridge, God's mercy is that wide bridge that we are supposed to walk over from the depths of God's salvation, chapter 11, to the demands of God's salvation, verse uh, chapter 12. Walk over the bridge of God's mercy from the scope of God's salvation to the sacrifice response to God's salvation. Mercy is the wide bridge that we are supposed to walk over from chapter 11's size of God's salvation to chapter 12's surrender, which is logical given the size of God's salvation. Mercy is the bridge we are to walk over from chapter 11's breadth of God's salvation to chapter 12's bowing down because of God's salvation. You get the point. Mercy is the bridge from the power of God's salvation in chapter 11 to the practice of that salvation in chapter 12 as being a slave or a bond slave, a living sacrifice. Last point. The mercy of God is the bridge to walk from chapter 11's magnitude of God's salvation to chapter 12's master of that salvation being seen as your own master. And so it is God's great mercy that gives us plenty of reason to surrender to him. And so, brothers and sisters in Christ, when you properly see all of God's mercies to you, then you present your body to the Lord for his service. Then you offer your body to the Savior for his ministry. When you properly see God's mercy toward you and saving you, then you climb onto the altar like Isaac did in order to be a living sacrifice. By the way, Isaac was a strapping, strong teenager when he crawled on that, off, on that altar. His father could not have forced him on that altar. When you see the mercy of God shown you in salvation through Christ, you see your body's days on earth as being a blank check, which you gladly make payable to the Lord Jesus Christ to spend as he wishes. Back to verse 1. I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. To present here in the Greek is paristemi. It's a verb, obviously, paristeme. It means to put at one's disposal. It means to offer up. It's like all the taxi cabs I see around the island. Taxi cabs and their drivers. When the taxi cab driver pulls up in his taxi in front of you at the hotel, he's presenting himself and his taxi to you for your disposal. He's offering up all of his own preferences in favor of yours. That taxi cab driver and the taxi will take you exactly where you want to be taken. He chooses to have it your way instead of having it his way. He gives you his time. He gives you his gasoline. He gives you his taxi. He serves your will and not his own will. You tell him your destination and he doesn't debate it. He doesn't alter it. He takes you there as fast as he can with courtesy. And so, believer, you are to present your body to the Lord Jesus Christ. You are to present your body to your Savior for his disposal. In fact, you are commanded to put your body at your Lord's disposal. Remember in Romans 6, last Sunday morning, we talked about our bodies being like a toolbox 
full of various tools, your mind to think with and your mouth to speak with and your ears to hear with and your uh, strength to work with and your feet to go places with and your appetites to honor God with. And so we are commanded to offer up our bodies as toolboxes to Jesus Christ, just like the taxi cab driver offers up himself and his cab to those who will pay the fare. Now this verb, which is translated present, is in the aorist tense. In Greek, the aorist tense describes past completed action that is not progressive action. Before I came to visit you, I had need of a root canal. And I went to the dentist, and he worked on my tooth at one point in time. He completed the crown on my tooth, and thank God he doesn't have to work an hour on that tooth every Wednesday from now on. When we present our bodies as living sacrifices, it's a decisive point in time, completed action in the past with no progressive nature to it. Once you've done it, God holds you to it. He's not hard of hearing, and he's not poor of memory. When you say, I present my body a living sacrifice, he hears you, and he remembers it, and he holds it to it. And we need to hold ourselves to that commitment. When we recognize that our bodies are holy sacrifices, as we should, we realize that we are being set apart. The nature of being holy is being set apart for someone's use. I told you what great hosts the Warrells are. We need to pray for Paul. He's feeling ill tonight at home. But they gave us a lovely uh, bedroom with uh, its own attaching uh, restroom. And there were towels on the towel bar when we arrived. Pristine, clean, fragrant, wonderful towels. They were sanctified towels because they were set apart for the guests' possession and use. (laughs) They were holy towels. They were set apart for the Elliot's possession and use for these days we're visiting. And so when it says in verse 1, I urge you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and a holy sacrifice, it simply means you're choosing to present yourself to Jesus Christ. You're choosing to set yourself apart from the high school guys that hate Christ. You're choosing to set yourself apart from the employees that laugh at you going to church every week. You're choosing to set your self-apart from the television programs which are trash. And you're setting yourself apart for Christ's possession and use. That's what it means to be a holy sacrifice. A little later in this service, I'm going to give you all an opportunity to decisively surrender yourself, to present yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ as a living sacrifice. I'm going to invite you to respond, not to me, but to the Lord, in a few minutes from now. I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and a holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service of worship. Remember I said that this verb present is in the aorist tense meaning it's a completed action in the past time. There are some things that we do that are aorist tense presentations, it occurs to me, that are completed in the past and we live out in in the present. Our wedding vows, those of us who are married, when we promise to love our spouse till death us do part, that was a decisive presentation of ourselves to our mates. 
and before God, or when we dedicate our babies or our infant children to Jesus Christ in an infant dedication service, it's a completed action in the past that we tell our children about as they grow up. Or some who enter political office have to swear in their allegiance to the Bahamas and to the laws of the Bahamas. It's a completed action that has to be carried forward. Or those who join the military have to make a solemn oath to uphold the Constitution of the United States of America and her laws. Or when you are sworn in as a citizen. I was born Canadian and I became an American citizen, a dual citizen in October, and I had to swear allegiance to the United States of America. It's happened in my past. It's completed. Or when a pastor is ordained, like uh, Brothers Worrell and Ferguson will be on the 27th, when they are commended to uh, pastoral ministry in this church, that will be a completed action in the past that will carry forward completed in the days ahead. They're one-time presentations, one-time surrenders, which call a person to special duties. Verse 1, one more time. I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and a holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. I'm wondering, have you ever done that? If you don't know for sure if you have, then you haven't, because you will know when you've done that. After conversion, after being saved, have you ever decisively presented your body, your life, to Christ for his disposal, to do whatever he wishes to do with you? Oh, what freedom and liberty and joy there is in that presentation. Romans 12, 1 and 2 is calling every Christian in the sound of my voice to decisive surrender of body to God for God's use and glory. Will you answer that call if you never have? <coughs> Will you present yourself as a living sacrifice? At this point, I realize, if you're at all like me, that if you've never presented yourself as a living sacrifice, you're a little scared right now, because I was really scared. At Word Life Bible Institute, I was so scared about this that I got heart palpitations and had to leave the institute early, and I'm not kidding. I was really scared about this. I was terrified about presenting my body a living sacrifice to the Savior back in 1981. I admit that. I was looking at God's will for my life. eBay didn't exist in 81, of course, but now in terms of today, I was looking at presenting my body a living sacrifice like an eBay purchase. 30 days, no obligation. Return it if you don't like it for any reason and get your money back. That's how I was looking at God's will for my life if I surrendered to him as a living sacrifice. But God is so merciful and God is so persistent. He kept presenting Romans 12, 1 and 2 to me over and over and over again. It seemed like every guest lecturer referenced these two verses. And I couldn't run from them far enough. I couldn't hide from them. They were before me always by the Holy Spirit. In fact, in early February of 1981, I wrote to my godly uncle Campbell Witherspoon, who lived in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And I told him about my struggles but I did not mention Romans 12, 1 and 2 in my letter to my uncle, my great uncle, 
because I was trying to dodge the verses when I wrote my great uncle. But on February 21st of that year, 81, I got a response letter from my great uncle Campbell in Pittsburgh, and this is what he wrote, and I'll quote it. You say that God has been correcting and rebuking you in many beautiful ways regarding your submission to his perfect will. Make a complete surrender of your all to him, as recorded in Romans 12, 1 and 2. I am sure that some of the speakers will be urging the students to take this step. End of quote. Two things my great uncle wrote. One, it's a complete surrender. And second, it's based on Romans 12, 1 and 2, and it surfaced in my life again. This was so significant to me that I taped Uncle Campbell's letter into my Bible that's so yellowed with scotch tape. That portion of that letter from my great uncle in Pittsburgh has been taped into this Bible for 33 years. It was that important in my life. A few days after my uncle, great uncle's letter, five days to be specific, on February 26, 1981, at night in my Word of Life Bible Institute dormitory with my supervisor, I knelt beside his bed and I signed a small yellow slip that read, All that I am, all that I have, all that I ever hope to be, I now and forever dedicate to the Lord Jesus Christ for his use and glory, absolutely, unconditionally, now and forever. Now, Lord Jesus, hold me to it. Below my uncle's letter is my yellow commitment slip. 33 years it's been there because it's that important. Now and forever is a decisive surrender of my life to Christ, absolutely and unconditionally, and hold me to it. This is the language of complete surrender of my body, of my life, of my all to Christ. And they're there 33 years later. So to review verse 1, I urge you, therefore, therefore hooks back to chapter 11, the mercy of God to save Gentiles and Jews. I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is a reasonable service of worship. And so we say that's a decisive surrender, a decisive offering up, a decisive presenting of ourselves as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, who is merciful. Now, the Greek word, which is translated spiritual in the NASB that I'm reading from and in the NIV, is translated reasonable in the New King James Version. It comes from the Greek word for logic. So watch this. Let me expand the, the verse a little bit with these understandings. God's word is saying that it is logical and totally reasonable to serve and worship the Lord as a surrendered, offered up, presented living sacrifice as a person who has given one's all. Peter Dyson, in his book, The Priority of Knowing God, tells about an occasion when President Eisenhower was addressing the National Press Club he opened his remarks by apologizing because he was not a great speaker. Then he told his audience that his situation with them there that day reminded him of a boyhood experience on a Kansas farm. Eisenhower recalled, an old farmer had a cow that we wanted to buy. We went over to visit him and asked about the cow's pedigree. 
The old farmer didn't know what pedigree meant. So we asked him about the cow's butterfat production. He told us that he didn't have any idea. Finally, we asked him if he knew how many pounds of milk the cow produced each year. The farmer shook his head and said, I don't know, but she's an honest old cow, and she'll give you all the milk she has. It's only logical that we should say to the Lord Jesus Christ, I'll give you everything I have. I'll give you everything I have in a decisive presentation. But I struggle with that, like I told you. I struggled for that for a long time because I messed up my understanding of verse 2. Let me read verse 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. The way that I messed up verse 2 was I took its last phrase, what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect, and I put it to the beginning of verse 2 before, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove. So if you picture this as a train, if you picture this as a train, then Verse 1 through 2a is a a mighty good engine, but it makes a very lousy caboose in a train. And if you conversely take the second half of verse 2, which is what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect, and move it from being a caboose on this train to being the engine of the train, you've got a mess. You've got a real mess. And that's where I was. I'll expand that just a moment. There are two key words in verse 2. One is conformed. And do not be conformed to this world. Conformed means being dressed up in the masquerade of this world. You have an annual, is it Jenaku? Is that how you say that? Jankanu. An annual celebration of, of your heritage and so forth. I understand people dress up in certain costumes for that, and there's, there's almost like a masquerade going on. This verse here means to be conformed means to be dressed up in the masquerade of this world. What is this world? This world is the current worldview which cheerfully, completely leaves Jesus Christ out of everything. That's this world. A way of looking at life in business, in the arts, in entertainment, in law, in politics, in all pursuits of human endeavor. This world is a system, a worldview that cheerfully leaves Jesus Christ out of everything, completely out of everything. In the United States, you can't name the name of Jesus Christ anymore as a chaplain in the military. That's the world. And verse 2 says... And do not be conformed to this world. Don't let a worldview that leaves Jesus Christ cheerfully, completely out of everything. Don't let it do. Don't let squeeze you into its mold. But instead, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's what will make us to be transformed out of a worldview that cheerfully leaves Jesus Christ completely out. Be transformed means to be changed in one's outer appearance. And the renewing of our mind means thinking Scripture instead of the Christless world's script. 
I guess you get American television, which is too bad. But you just watch some of those lousy comedies in American television where the, the husbands are absent or stupid and the children are disrespectful and rude and running wild. That is an example of what the world's view is. Cheerfully leaves Jesus Christ out of everything. And so we should be letting the script of God's word override the script of Hollywood, right? We should be much more in this book than with our faces in front of a television looking at world, worldly entertainment that cheerfully leaves Jesus Christ out of everything. So let me expand the translation of verse 2 with these, some of these understandings from the original language. Ready? And do not be dressed up in the masquerade of the current age or world system, which is Christless in its values, beliefs, spirit, moral atmosphere, culture, and worldview. But instead be changed in your outer appearance by both the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, saturating and changing your mind such that your mind thinks scripture instead of the world's script. And so verse 1 of this passage through the first half of verse 2 yield the result of the second half of verse 2. And the verse 1 and the first half of verse 2 must be the engine of the train, and verse 2b must be the caboose of the train. But I had been seeing at Word of Life Bible Institute to be as the engine, and it simply is not. God's will for your life already is good, acceptable, and perfect. But if you want to discover and prove that it is, then present your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service of worship. I was saying, Lord, show me what you want me to do. I'll evaluate whether it's good, acceptable, and perfect. And if it is, then I'll present my body a living sacrifice. Shame on me. But when I saw that the last part of verse 2 makes a wonderful caboose but a lousy engine, then I could have grace to obey. And then I could, by the mercies of God, present my body as a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is my spiritual service of worship, and not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So where does, that, where does that work for you? Well, if you've already presented your body as a living sacrifice in the past, God heard you and he remembers. And maybe tonight is all about you saying, I did this, Lord, and I mean it, and I'm living it. Or maybe you're here tonight and you've struggled with this passage, and you've fought against this passage, and you're scared of this passage like I once was. Well, let me tell you this. In Ephesians 2.10, it says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, that he prepared beforehand that we should walk in. Do you know what the Greek word for workmanship is? Poema. Sounds like poem, right? God is saying, you, if you're saved, are a poem. There are no two poems the same. So that means if you're saved, for you are God's poema, his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Guess what? Each of you can do good works that none of the rest of us can do. They're unique to you. They're poems. 
And God has prepared beforehand that you would do these specific good works unique to you in obedience. And a huge step to getting to that point of doing the poema good works unique to you is to present your body a living sacrifice. Would that not make sense? And so tonight I'm going to call you to do that. It's going to take a little courage. But I'll tell you this. If you will respond to this having never done so before, all of the people here who've already done this in their past will be so much in prayer for you and will celebrate your obedience. And you may be thinking here tonight, Pastor Elliot, I'm, I'm just an ordinary person. In fact, I'm rather weak. I'm really no prize. Could the Lord Jesus do something with me if I surrendered my life to him as a loving sacrifice? Maybe you're thinking that. Let me illustrate. While visiting Franklin D. Roosevelt in the White House, Wendell Wilkie asked him, Mr. President, why do you keep that frail, sickly man, Harry Hopkins, at your elbow? Roosevelt replied, Mr. Wilkie, through that door flows a daily and an incessant stream of men and women who most invariably want something from me. Harry Hopkins wants only to serve me. And that's why he is so near me. Would you present your body a living sacrifice with the only motive to serve Christ? Whatever, whenever, wherever. Now I know how it works, how the flesh works and how the enemy works. As I'm moving into this invitation, you're getting distracted with thoughts like, I can do this later. Or... This may be good for him or her, but this is kind of fanatical to me. It seems a little radical. Or you may be thinking, what will others think of me if I respond? What if they thought I already presented my body a living sacrifice years ago and I haven't? I'd be really embarrassed to show them I haven't done that yet. I would just encourage you to put away your excuses. And if the Holy Spirit is moving you to present your body a living sacrifice for the first time in your life, do so. You each received a card. This is the same words that I responded to in 1981 at Word of Life. And you can see that it says, All that I am, all that I have, all that I ever hope to be, I now and forever dedicate to the Lord Jesus Christ for his use and glory, absolutely, unconditionally, now and forever. Romans 12, 1 and 2, Proverbs 3, 5 and 6, Philippians 2, 12 to 15. Now, Lord Jesus, hold me to it. And there is a place for you to sign it. What I'm going to invite you to do in a moment is in the pew to sign that card if you mean it. And then as I give you the opportunity to come forward to have someone pray with you, I want you to have the person up here, the pastor who's up here, to sign the line that says witness. So this can be a decisive completed, decisive, completed surrender of your all to Christ. There is no telling what God will do with Calvary Bible Church, Nassau, Bahamas, if every member presents their body a living sacrifice to Christ. There's no telling. And so I wonder if the choir and Brother Anton could 
strike up the music I've asked and could softly sing the song I've requested. And now it's time for you to do business with God, not with me. I'm just his servant, but with the Lord, the one who loved you and died for you, the one who loves you and has a plan for your life, the one who has a poema for your redeemed life. Remember, as the music is playing, that that what you're going to be asked to do is first sign that card, and then when you are ready, as we sing, I invite you to just come to the front, speak with the pastor of this church, one of the pastors, who will pray with you and sign the witness line on your card, and then maybe you'll tape that card into your Bible for many years as I have. So may we begin. You think about it, pray about it. Remember, it's reasonable. In light of God's great mercy, it's reasonable. Christ has saved you. It's logical and sensible for you to surrender to the Lordship of Christ.
time. Don't put this off. Next to salvation decision, this is the most important decision a believer can make. Presenting themselves decisively to be used to the Lord as he sees fit. doing and we believe he's not finished working in this congregation tonight what I invite you to do if you have made this presentation previously would you stand at this time and we're going to sing we're going to transition to um, when I survey the wondrous cross and there's still time for you that need to make this presentation while we sing when I survey the wondrous cross and those of you have precious response tonight Present your bodies as living sacrifices to the Savior. Think of the words as we're singing of, I survey the wondrous cross. There's still time to come forward and have your card witnessed.
see 